Heads up, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about BIPA, the Biometric Information Privacy Act. It was passed in the state of Illinois back in 2008. And before you say, I'm not in Illinois, it doesn't matter. Lots of states are checking this thing out and looking at different types of laws of similar ilk. So this episode could be really valuable for you. Now, we're not legal experts to give you that advice. We're just observing what's happening in the market and trying to offer you some helpful perspective that may help you in your, uh, your operation. So we'll cover what BIPA is, uh, what, what exactly, uh, what its impacts are, how, how you could violate BIPA, and really the, the three ways to avoid uh, any issues there is, is in, in terms of making sure you're providing written uh, policies, written, written permission, and written notices of a retention and how things are happening. So please, uh, hopefully it's, it's valuable to you. And again, seek your own legal advice to make sure you're following the correct laws, whether you're in the state of Illinois or elsewhere. But it's a great episode for that. Hopefully it's helpful to you and your operation as you're out striving, striving to, uh, to reach peak performance in your operation. With me today is Caitlin Harger, who is the senior economist at uh, Chamber of Progress. And she's also the author of a study called Who Benefits from BIPA? So Caitlin, thanks for coming on the program with us today. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk about this. Absolutely. I, I, I love bringing you on because you're an economist and economists don't get wrapped up in politics and emotion and whatever else. It's more about what's the impact here and what is what, what matters. So let's let's jump right in first, though, before we there's a lot to talk about here. And we're going to try not to I'll try not to get too in the weeds and eyes will glaze over ears will glaze over if you're listening, whatever it may be. But this is some really important stuff and it can get heavy. But why don't we start first? With, can you just give us I mean, what is what is BIPA? So BIPA stands for the Biometric Information and Privacy Act. It's a law that was passed in Illinois in 2008 um, and the goal behind it was to try to protect um, constituents or residents of Illinois from uh, biometric data breaches so from having their personal biometric information um, stolen and then you know the difficulties associated with fixing that um, so that's kind of the broad overview there's kind of two two unique things um, about BIPA in Illinois the first is that it includes what's called a private right of action so this allows individuals like you and I to sue companies um, if, if our biometric uh, information was in violation of the law. Um, and because of that, we get to the second thing. And the second thing is that this becomes really important for businesses operating in Illinois because they have to be in compliance with, with the law in order to avoid these lawsuits. Yeah, that, that makes that makes great sense. It's great. And I guess the thing when I look at these things on the surface, Caitlin, I'm all in. I mean, we, we need to do it. You know, I know you're not promoting anything, but I mean, as a society, we got our laws have to catch up with the amount of technology that's out there and the privacy and all that's going on. Um, however, some of the impacts aren't always as intended. And I think we can get into some of those. So, all right. So we've got great intention. Before we do that, though, I want to back all the way up to this study and I want to back up to who Caitlin is. I mean, so so what is it you do at, at the Chamber of Progress and, and how does all that play in? And then I want to really jump right into the study. So um, I am the senior economist at Chamber of Progress, like you mentioned. So the way our organization is set up, we have a few different kind of policy um, verticals, for example. We have tech policy, which includes kind of, kind of, excuse me, competition, speech, et cetera. We also have a crypto fintech section, and then we have a civic innovation section. I think this falls under that category. But so as the senior economist, I work across all of our policy areas. Um, so at the Chamber of Progress, that's kind of my overall role. When I first was hired to work at Chamber of Progress, which would have been about a year ago, 
um, BIPA came up because some of our partner companies uh, were concerned about it. So our, we're an industry trade association. We have partner companies and we work with them to try to um, help their efforts on state and federal level. Excuse me. Yeah, perfect. So take us on the journey a little bit. So, okay, so it comes up. Uh, it's mentioned by some partner companies. Somebody comes to you and say, hey, Caitlin, can you take a look at this or whatever? What were your initial thoughts? And then how did they mature? And we'll, we'll get to some of the results in the study here in a minute. But just think on your perspective as economists rolling into this thing. Yeah, so I think the way I tend to approach things is kind of like how much information can I find out about this? From there, then I can kind of weed down the information. So as an economist, starting off, I wanted to kind of get um, a sense of like the landscape in terms of these cases. So how many cases have been filed? Like what kind of magnitude are we looking at? When the cases are settled and we know the settlement amounts, how large are those? And how much of those settlement amounts are going towards um, attorney fees versus going back to Illinois residents? That's kind of one one area. Second thing I thought was really interesting is trying to understand how um, there are unintended consequences from this law, right? So while really well-intentioned, you know, we're over 10 years, probably about 15 years past the initial passage. And the case, um, the case rulings that have come out, the cases that we've seen, you know, Illinois residents are getting some benefit, you know, a couple hundred dollars when these cases settle. But largely, um, we're not really protecting consumers from harm necessarily. The majority of the cases don't deal with that. But we are spending a lot of time and effort in the court system, and companies are get paying out these really large settlements, in which a good portion of go to um, these trial attorneys. So I think one side of it for me was like, this is really not what the law intended to do, right? The law at least according to the legislature at the time, the law was really based in this sense of like, we need to protect our residents from biometric data breaches. And what's happened is that, um, that essentially that's not taking place. I can get into the weeds a little bit if we want, but um, you don't have to show harm, for example, to bring a suit. Uh, trial attorneys are making a very, very large amounts of money um, based on these, these cases. And so there's kind of this, um, like a mixture of incentives that aren't necessarily yielding the outcomes that the legislature intended initially. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a thing, right? Not not to bury the headline or step on toes, but seemingly, you know, trial attorneys are benefiting really well from this law. Uh, but but outside of that, what are other economic out, outcomes that are happening based on you know having having a decade and a half plus or so of this BIPA law? Based on whether that be you know economically in the, on the macro or even from an organizational standpoint or an individual standpoint. Yeah, so um, I think there's two things. One is that companies are becoming increasingly hesitant to enter Illinois markets, primarily because the um, liability insurance has to be so, so high in order to counteract um, the, the likelihood of having a BIPA violation, having one of these large settlements. At least that's what you know we've heard. The other side of things, I think it's really important because it's so risky. So let me take a step back. A large majority of these cases are um, restaurants or similar uh, kind of like mom and pop shops, and they are using thumb, like fingerprint scanners of your thumb to clock in and out. And so if you think about a business like that, they're typically a smaller organization, um, definitely small to medium, if we count small to medium enterprises, but smaller organizations. And every time someone clocks in and out that way, when I clock in, that's one violation. When I clock out, that's another violation. 
every employee could be doing that, right? And so I think the implication or like the really important like economic takeaway is that we ha- we're harming small businesses, right? So we have all these businesses in the, in the state. Yes, like the major settlements are coming from Google and Facebook, and you know we can talk about that as well. But I think on a on a more local or micro level, we're making it much more difficult and much more risky for businesses to um, enter spaces because if they're not aware of this law, the likelihood of violation could be really high. So if you if you're listening and you say, well, my company's not in Illinois, no problem. Um, I want to I want to tackle that because other states are certainly looking at this, and and several states have had proposed legislation. And now I don't know how much of that's actually getting through just yet, but there are active legislations right now um, in in various states. And then there's obviously there's mm-hmm. conversation around the federal side. So what what really is happening here, right? So I mean, it, in this case, whether it's somebody logging in for time, that seems to be the majority of, of many of these cases, right? Um, where an employee feels aggrieved, and that's a really important term because to your point, it doesn't have to show harm. It's not like somebody stole somebody's money or used their data for any benefit, but that they just feel aggrieved that their data or their identity has been uh, stored or captured. And then they would then potentially, because it's a private right of action, they could sue uh, that that organization and say, you violated BIPA, um, and and then there you are in a case, and so you either you 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 pay the money, the lawyer fees to fight it, or you settle, or maybe a little bit of both, or whatever it may be, right? I mean that's that's what we're talking about there. What what else am I missing on the macro level? Is, as an organization listening today, running an operation where maybe they're using time tracking or you know voice assistance or whatever it may be. Um, what what am I missing in in general? For your question, are you talking about businesses located in Illinois? I think it starts there, but I, I think anyone who's I, the the reason I bring up other states and we can cover that in a minute is just I think if you're not in Illinois, probably should still be paying attention. If you're located in Illinois, one of the biggest things is making sure that you're familiar with BIPA and all of the different things you have to do to comply because it is quite extensive. Um, it's possible to comply, of course, but it's quite extensive. So I would say if you're operating in Illinois. Be very, very, very careful to make sure and maybe, you know, get outside help. Obviously, I'm not a lawyer, but make sure that you're meeting all of those requirements. Um, one of them is related. So I wanted to write the, I have these down somewhere, but yes, yeah, so you have to inform someone that you are collecting their biometric information. You have to inform them in writing how that information will be used. You have to obtain a written release, even if you do all of that. You also have to publish a written policy outlining retention schedules for the data. So it's pretty intense in terms of detail. So again, I would just say it's really easy to to violate, in my opinion. Um, In terms of states or other states or places outside of Illinois, Alex, you're right. Absolutely. There are many states that are considering this legislation. I would say um, often we see states considering what we call kind of BIPA copycats. And typically those involve the same private right of action or the same language from the bill. Legislatures in Arizona, Hawaii, Massachusetts, Maryland, Mississippi, New York, Tennessee, all introduced bills that were very, very similar to Illinois' BIPA. Um, so again, I think in terms of those states, like if I, if I owned a business and I was operating one of those states, I would be keeping track of laws that are proposed that are similar to this, also keeping track of how I can comply um, if the exact same law was passed, like if we took Illinois' law and passed it in state X, um, 
I would say compliance would be a major, major concern just for the, the reasons that, you know, you and I have discussed, Alex. It, it's a great point. And I, it's probably, it's, it's probably a good time and maybe past time to mention, Hey, we're, we're not, we're not attorneys. We're not an advisor. You know, obviously if you're running an organization and this is important to you, which it, it should be, you know, you need to reach out to whoever your expert is in this area. We're just kind of talking about this from an economical standpoint and a, and a, an observational standpoint. So yes, we are not trying to provide you legal advice or any guidance for how you want to run your business. That said, there's some insight in what we're seeing, um, you know, whether that's through court cases that have been settled or potential um, uh, judged on or, or whatnot. And I think I really want you mentioned a couple of things that I think are really important. So whether it's copycat legislation or it's legislation that has some adjustments, there's some terms that are really important that I think not to keep piling on, but add real weight to this. One is we talked about the private private right of action, not being able to be aggrieved. So anybody can just say, hey, you violated this. I'm going after you. It's a worker that's been captured. However, it's also per violation. Right. So. To your point earlier, if somebody's using a fingerprint scanner for time tracking yes. or logging in or whatever, uh, you have 100 employees or 1,000 employees or more, that's per violation, right? And I think that's a that's a really important term. Are there other key terms or provisions, again, not to try to pile on, but that, that you think are important to cover in terms of what BIPA uh, requires an employer to do? You know, I think aside from... Aside from what's outlined in law that you know I read a little bit earlier, I think Alex, you just highlighted the two major kind of court rulings. So um, the Six Flags case back in 2019 um, is the one that established that you don't need to be you don't need to be harmed in order to bring suit. So that was a big one, and that led to a dramatic increase in case filings. Um, but also, like you mentioned, the repeated scanning. So in 2023, um, in a white the White Castle case. They, the court ruled that every instance of a violation counts individually. So like Alex mentioned, this kind of clock in, clock out, that's two per employee per day. And it, I think a lot of times, like if you're an employer, you're not aware that you're in violation, that adds up very, very quickly. And I should mention too, that I think the um, baseline amount of damages you can ask for is $1,000 per violation. So imagine kind of how quickly that adds up if you have 30 employees and you're running a restaurant and people are clocking in and out each time. What if they want to break? That's another clock in and out, right? Like, so it, it kind of depends, but yeah, it adds up really quickly. And I think those, those court rulings have really had an impact on what this looks like in Illinois. Yeah, and I think the, the hope would be some of that seen, and maybe there's some reasonableness that's brought into to the law in the future or elsewhere if it's enacted. But I think in your in your paper, you use the term exponential uh, in terms of those damages at that point, and it's the right word. I mean, you, you can easily do the math in your mind um, for, for organizations, large and small, based on, on how that's happening. So let me, okay, this is great. I really appreciate you walking us through some of this stuff. Let's look tactically at an organization, when when the, the the rulings that you can have on record, again, I think you mentioned in your paper settlements and things. It's hard to track the amounts and whatever. But when you look at those, largely many of those um, are are happening. You know, we, we've got scans, we have fingerprint scans, um, we've got uh, some voice prints as well. Most largely around AI. Can you talk from a tactical perspective? Where organizations, again, it, it, it could be anywhere, but but where they really primarily are put at risk for this law in terms of their operation. So I'll start with a fingerprint scan. That was really, that was very frequent. Also hand, handprint scans. Um, Alex, like you mentioned, voice recordings are widely used um, in like banking, for example. I know there was a case with a AI insurance company 
Um, so I think that's one big area, but also um, facial recognition was a really, really big area. So um, in the cases that I read in terms of companies, often it would be something like gaining access to an area. So to gain access to a specific area or to like, there was a trucking case, I think, and it was like unloading cargo, you had to scan your hand. So I think it depends on the operations, but essentially, you know, based on Illinois law, any, any time, any of your biometric information, like your face, your hand, technically your body, your foot could be included. Like it's really broad. Anytime that, anytime you collect any of that information from your employees, you have to go through the steps to comply. So I would just say, like, if, if there's, again, it's most widely used in, in time tracking, but also I think security. So if you are using um, voice scans, for example, so that people can get access to their banking, or if you are showing up to like a warehouse that has sensitive, you know, contents and then your face, face is scanned as part of it. Like those are typically kind of what we're seeing. Um, another one that we saw, again, depends on the company, but another one we saw often was virtual try on. So if I am at home and there's not like a, like I live in Washington right now and there's not a lot of stores around me. So if I wanted to like buy makeup, for example, Sephora has like a virtual try on or like even glasses, I can try them on. All of that violates uh, BIPA without, without the compliance, you know, that we discussed earlier. Wow. This is far reaching. I, so it, many of our customers, so we've, we may have implemented a, a voice system, for instance, in their warehouse or in their distribution center or, or manufacturing plant that, that really provide great benefits to, to the company, of course, from a productivity, accuracy standpoint, all that safety, but it's also uh, the worker satisfaction is much, much higher using those in, in our customer base than, than other technologies. And with that though, there is voice. I mean, and now they're not re voice recordings in the traditional sense uh, or, or even what AI does, but that allows for for employees to receive incentive pay and all kinds of other benefits. So I think you mentioned it earlier, and I'd like to go through it again. If I'm an organization and I'm running these these programs, or whether it's for uh, again fit fingerprints or or in in this case voice templates to help you know, improve the operation, improve the worker experience, all those things. Um, really, I think you mentioned three things, right? So it's it's about you know that you need to notify, get permission, and put a policy out there, right? I mean that's pretty much primarily. Again, we're not giving advice, but that seems to be the the roundabout way to make sure this is this covered, correct? Yes, essentially. So I think the thing that's a little bit trickier is that you have to notify in writing, and you have to obtain a release in writing, and then you have to post your retention schedule in writing. So I think if you like notified and everyone said that you know your employee said, yeah, that's great. You'd be in violation, right? So I think I think a lot of the places where, at least the cases I saw where they were violating the law, it was it was the writing portion where either they didn't get the release or they didn't post it in writing. But yes, broadly speaking, you have to inform people and let them know how long you're going to keep their data. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, and we've obviously in some customers certainly only we're implementing systems where it doesn't hold any of the voice templates. It's all speaker independent, and so they just go. But that doesn't solve anywhere else. They might be capturing a, a fingerprint right. scan or something like that. So again, if you're an organization out there, I think this is this is one of those things that could really come around and bite you if you're not paying attention today. So that's why I wanted yeah. to bring you on. I'm so glad you came. So let's all right. We gloom and doom, all the challenges, whatever. <laughs> I mean, if it's not one thing, it's another. Yeah. Uh, but let's look forward. I mean, where where are we going? at this point. So 
Um, you know, obviously we talked about why it's important to firms and organizations, but what do you see is happening trend-wise, either either specifically to, and maybe both, specifically to the state of Illinois and what's happening there, and maybe some of the feedback they've gotten from their business community and whatnot, as well as what you see across the landscape. We talked about copycat uh, legislation, but what, what do we really see trend-wise? And again, we're not we're not Nostradamus or prognosticators, but what do you think is is likely happening here in this in this area? Okay, so I think in Illinois, it's it's really interesting because the White Castle case came out last year. So the White Castle case said, you know, every time someone clocked in and out, that's an individual violation. And in one of their court filings, White Castle said that they anticipated the damages they'd have to pay being over $17 billion. So this is really, really a huge amount of money. Um so I so based on that, I would think that the Illinois legislature would be taking a look at this again. Um, I've heard that they might do that. I don't know that there's been a bill introduced, but I think in the past as well, you know, there's some awareness that this isn't really accomplishing what the intent was. Um, with the White Castle ruling, I think it's really hard to to justify not doing anything to the law. I mean, seventeen billion dollars is a lot of money, especially if there's no harm shown. Um, so that's Illinois. I think in other states, you know, the, this idea of I want to protect my constituents from uh, their biometric information being sold online, like that's a very sympathetic view and, and probably a lot of people want to ensure that that's the case. So I would say we'll probably see more and more states um, with bills that are being introduced that aim at the same goal. Um, I think in terms of how they're implemented or what that looks like will depend on the states and probably what happens in Illinois. I mean, the White Castle case is getting a lot of attention. If Illinois were to go back and say, hey, we need to revise this, I think we need to address you know, X, Y, and Z, then other states would probably take notice of that as well. Um, if I were working in a state, if I were like you know a legislator in a state that was considering this, I think what would be best or what I would recommend to them is let's look at what's happened in Illinois and craft a law that has the same intentions, but avoids kind of the pitfalls that we've seen here. What about on the federal level? I know some of these cases were filed in federal court. They were remanded back to the jurisdiction where they were, but do you see any federal interest happening around this? I haven't seen any federal like proposals for federal legislation related to biometrics. Um, that of course could change again. I think there's this protective concern uh, of how do we protect our constituents. I think the Illinois cases that went back and forth um, depended on if they had multiple jurisdictions. So like, for example, I, you know, one of the cases in the paper talks about Google. They are based out of California. Um, the plaintiffs are in Illinois. And so because there's two, two jurisdictions and, you know, the federal court would decide which one to go to. So part of it's that. Um, but I could see in the future, I mean, as technology expands and as more and more people use this biometric information, I definitely could see in the future eventually there being some federal legislation, but I haven't seen any um, indication of it just yet. Makes sense. Awesome. Well, there's a lot here. Caitlin, you've been super helpful in explaining what BIPA is and what it's about and that some of the intricacies, even even getting into some of the weeds. Hopefully we didn't we didn't uh, overwhelm people with too many details, but this is a really important <laughs> issue that, that is one of those sneaky things that whether you're operating in Illinois or any other state that's considering this, it's really, really important we pay attention to it. Um, and, I, and look, I, in, in our travels with our customers, most organizations are well-meaning. They're trying to do the right thing. Um, they're, they're trying to create an environment for their workers to be, to be productive, but also satisfied 
God. And, and, and this is one of those things where, to your point, the intent really seems like we can all agree the intent makes sense. Um, but boy, um, you know, making sure it's not out of balance and we're looking at, at multiple billion dollars of <laughs> things going on for this. Whew, crazy. All right. So as, as just a, 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 a general concept here, I love to give the last word to the guests. So what is it you'd like to offer the, the listeners today in regard to BIPA or any other concept at this point as we sign off here today? So I think I would just say with BIPA, it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the future. Um, and the White Castle ruling was a surprise to a lot of people. And so... I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, in 2024, whether or not they address um, any of these changes in Illinois, but definitely more to come. And I think this will be an increasingly popular um, legislative proposal as things change. Awesome. Caitlin Harger, Senior Economist at Chamber of Progress and author of Who Benefits from BIPA. I appreciate you coming on the program and uh, and all the work you've done. And I, I know you'll continue to do it. So we'll keep an eye out for, for any new uh, information you've got out there. But uh, thank you again for coming on the program. Thank you, Alex. It's been great to talk. What they're able to recover is $1,000 per violation if it was basically we tried to comply but didn't, or $5,000 per violation if they can show that you really didn't even try to comply. And that easily adds up to hundreds of thousands, millions, and honestly, sometimes billions of dollars in these lawsuits. And that that really, from my perspective, is why this has been such a hot area over the last few years.